Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey everybody, James Shepard here. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to our 100th podcast episode. I actually didn't even realize it was our 100th until we were done recording it. Uh, And so we're just business as usual here, but you know, it worked out great because our episode today is so interesting. We have an interview lined up here with Dustin from Paybright, and his free placement program is really unique, and I hope that a lot of ISOs and agents will get some ideas from the interview. I love what he's doing with it. It's very, very interesting. Uh, Then we go to an insider's report with a big news story out about uh, First Data, now Pfizer, and their fight with the FTC over some fraudulent transactions and dealings. Um, Very interesting story there. Um, And then my questions from the field, I think it it really fit well with the interview that we did with Dustin because I talk about this challenge with cash discounting where it's becoming a, a situation where there's so many companies doing cash discounting that this problem with reconciliation, um, taxes, refunds, all of these things that actually can make cash discounting a problem for the merchant and kind of an annoyance. You know, before those things really didn't matter that much. We were saving so much money. But now I talk about how that's become kind of a threat to your portfolio and how you can secure that cash discount portfolio that you've worked so hard to build. So let's dive in. I'm excited about the episode. Let's dive into that interview with Dustin. All right, everybody. I am here today with Dustin Magaziner. Dustin is a managing partner at Paybright. How are you doing today, Dustin? Doing well. Thanks for asking. How are you? I am doing terrific. Uh, So today, Dustin and I and Patty are going to talk about the future of free terminal placements. Super interesting topic today. Excited about the interview. But before we dive into that, Dustin, I'd love to get your story. Uh, We always love to get that on the podcast here. How'd you get into this crazy industry? How'd you end up with Paybright? Yeah, so... You know, I, I tell some people I was into the industry to some extent. Um, my background's a little unique in that, uh, on the one hand side, my family owned a lot of retail and you know uh, card present environments. On the other side of things, my family owned a company that was really heavily involved in e-commerce in the late '90s and early 2000s, um, which was very involved in the processing industry. So you sort of merge those two together, and you have somebody that just grows up with some knowledge not everyone has. Mm-hmm. Um, so one summer when I was in high school, my dad asked me to do some research on why he was paying so much for credit card processing fees. And I made some calls to some people that my, my family knew on the other side of things and was quickly able to find out the answers to those. And they weren't as quick those answers as maybe they should have been and quickly realized there was just a, a better way to do some of this stuff. Um, it didn't need to be this complicated industry. And so that's sort of the background. And I was in college. I went out and started knocking on doors and really was just out there hustling uh, day in and day out for, you know, three and a half years. And then when I got out of school, realized we had a little bit more than we ever expected to have. Sure. Sure. So Dustin, this, this topic is so interesting and you know, it's funny because usually with these interviews, we usually start with like this like pure information dump and then we get into more specifics about the company. But what your company does is actually so unique as far as the free terminal placement program that I think the best way to frame the conversation is to just start there. So could you just kind of give us a a little bit of an idea flavor of how Paybright thinks about free terminal placement and and kind of the, the big picture of how that program looks? Yeah. So, I mean, in a nutshell, we really believe that if, you know, agents or processors or sales partners of any kind are having to pay for equipment or put it out of their pocket or lease or rent to merchants, they're a little behind and maybe doing a disservice to both themselves and the merchants they work with. Um, we really believe that 
you know, the future of the industry is free placements about that relationship, um, ease, right? I mean, we're, we're seeing all these kinds of paybacks that are really doing well because of the ease of setup and no barriers to entry, no real heavy upfront costs. So, right. you know, we really believe that the more friction you can eliminate, the better. Um, and I, you know, fullheartedly believe one of those main pain points for businesses is upfront costs, including terminal placements. Um, mm -hmm. There's obviously all kinds of new technologies emerging in the form of smart terminals and things like that. But unfortunately, that also increases the price point for these merchants too. Right. So, you know, our model is, is really to help these merchants get what they need without having to pay a premium for it. Um, so all of the accounts we work with, you know, are on our free placement program um, where, you know, they get what they need, not what we hope they need or want, but what they really need, um, you know, at, a, at no charge to them. Yeah. And so this is so interesting because, uh, you know, I've obviously been in the industry a long time. And so I've seen a lot of these you know, free placement programs. Um, and the first thing that really stuck out to me about yours was just the the scope of the different types of terminals and hardware that you make available. Uh, you know, we've really come a long way with free placement, you know, going back to when it first started, you know. But I mean, even today, I would say the vast majority of free placement programs that I'm aware of, it's like a VX520 or whatever. Right. But it, it's nothing else. So can you talk about your your kind of selection? What types of terminals are you, are you placing? And then also maybe if you could, which ones are most popular right now with agents and merchants? What are you seeing there? Certainly. So we like to say we pretty much have everything under the sun that our sales partners and merchants need. Um, even if it's not what we would call our standard placement, we're very, very flexible with making it happen if it makes sense for the merchant. Um, again, we're, we're not trying to fit the merchant in a box, really, of, hey, this VX520 is basic, take it, it works for almost everyone. Um, so our free placement includes pretty much everything from standard terminals like your VX520 or Pax S80s, your Deja Vus, and your you know, FD terminals, if those are needed in certain cases, to free Bluetooth mobile readers, to pin pads, which can be used for POS integrations or, you know, pin debit on, on a terminal, but also smart terminals, you know, Clover Flex, Point, Pax A920. Um, you know, these devices are also included truly on our free placement. They're not rentals. They're not leases. They, they're what we call them, free placements. Um, and so, you know, really, we're not limiting our businesses. We're not limiting our agents. Um, you know, we say to our agents, use what is right, not use what we tell you to use because it's what we right. have. It's really supposed to work for the merchant and the agent. So is that, is, I mean, because of the breadth of, um, of, of terminals you offer, it would seem to me then that you can pretty much go after any vertical. Is that sort of your strategy or do you have specifics? You know, just because of the nature of what we're talking about, um, you know, card present is certainly where we can differentiate ourselves the most. If mm -hmm. they're card not present, there's not really a huge need for a free sure. terminal. Um, right. So I'd say that, you know, this specific part of what we do is really, really, you know, competitive in the card present environment. But yeah, any business in that card present vertical is is a really, really great target market for our, our program. So let's let's talk about the question that every ISO exec is asking themselves while they're listening right now, which is, <laughs> why are you doing this from a financial perspective? So of course, mm -hmm. you know, it goes without saying that placing a VX520 is a lot cheaper than placing, a, you know, a point. <clears throat> so, you know, what's your rationale from a financial perspective? Is it, you know, greater lifetime value? What's your rationale as, a, as from a profit perspective of why you built your business this way? Yeah, so I think it's, you know, a few things. Um, one is the length of the account. Um, right. You know, how many agents are losing accounts right now because VX520s have been rebooting all over? Um, <laughs> well, how many agents are losing sure. accounts because, you know, their merchant went in and saw a fancy new Square device 
and went out and purchased that because it looked a lot better than their Paxs 80. Right. Um, so it's it's one, you know, staying competitive from a sales environment, but two, you know, keeping attrition low. You know, being able to provide these more advanced technologies don't just help you sign new business, but help you keep your business. So you know, we all know that the average length of an account has been decreasing over the last right. several years. Um, we would argue that our attrition and therefore our length of an account is holding much better than our competitors because we have, you know, better technology available. Um, on top of that, you know, frankly, profit and margins aren't as huge of a conversation when you're selling value or technology, which is sure. another big advantage for our agent base. You know, agents that may be selling a deal at, hey, I can lower you down to five and five, may be able to say, hey, I can come in at a very comparable rate, maybe save you a little bit, but that terminal that you have on your counter that's been relooping or rebooting every you know hour i'm going to replace it with this brand new fancy device that's going to work a lot better for you so it, it has a lot of advantages and then of course you know it has the advantage that we get top top tier agents as well in our program because mm. they're looking for this sort of solution sure you know it's so interesting because um we you know we, sometimes we batch these recordings we actually just recorded a podcast episode right before this and one of the topics we were talking about there that is, is just a common theme is lifetime value Right. It doesn't get talked about very much in our industry, which is kind of strange since we're a recurring income. You know what I mean? It's like, well, I'm right. making $100 a month. Well, I'm making 60. Well, I'm making 120. Well, who cares? If if you're making 120 a month, but you're only making it for 14 months, I'd rather make 80 for like 90 months, you know? So I think there's definitely a conversation there, isn't there, of lifetime value when you're looking at should we invest four or five hundred in a in a free placement versus 120? It's like, well, if the lifetime value of the account's going to go up by two grand, it's probably a pretty good idea. I'll tell you something else that's just sort of a frustration of mine that I see with free placement sometimes is that they'll offer a free placement only on new mids. It drives me nuts. Yeah. Because what you're saying is the account only has a value when they sign up, but really we all know that heavy cost is up front. It's much easier to keep an account once they're up and running. Right. So I've seen all kinds of programs where it's a free placement, but once the account's up and running, they've got to purchase if it breaks or it needs to be upgraded or anything like that. And again, that's another benefit of what we do is we'll replace these terminals or swap them out later on when the account needs it. Because again, we want to keep that account with us for the next three, five, 10 years. Um, because we don't want to give them a reason to change. So we sure. really try to take all of those reasons out of the equation. So one of the other types that's been an interesting kind of frustration, I think, for a lot of agents is larger accounts. Um, you mentioned, you know, I agree with you, the existing accounts are definitely one. And I think that's almost more a function, unfortunately, of most of the ISOs realize they can sell something to their current account. So they do. And, you know, I'm a greedy capitalist as well, so I get it. But, um, you know, when we're talking about larger accounts, when I'm trying to sell a larger account, they've got, you know, uh, maybe it's multiple locations or it's a single location that needs three or four, you know, devices. How do you handle that, uh, you know, situation on your free pl yeah. placement side? Yeah, so we don't limit placements to one terminal merchant. Um, again, that basically tells agents that they're going to have a hard time selling bigger accounts, which is ultimately what we all want. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we all want our sales partners and agents to target larger merchants, but then they, in often cases, run into the issue of, okay, well, they need five, six terminals. So we don't have a cap. We base it solely on volume. The larger an account is, the more they qualify for in terms of equipment. It's a standard ratio. So, you know, as the accounts grow in volume, the more equipment they qualify for. And it just makes it really nice and easy that the agent knows when they walk in what they can cover. Um, I can't tell you how many agents I've gotten calls from that are like, this merchant needs two terminals, but they're doing $150,000 a month in volume. It's going to be priced well. Can we do it? I'm like, 
Yeah, and you of didn't even need to ask. You could have just submitted it. There was no issue with it whatsoever. Right. Um, and I'm not saying 150,000 is the minimum for two at all. It's actually just 50,000 a month um, for you know a second unit. Um, but yeah, we want to encourage these larger accounts, not discourage them. Sure. Right. Uh, one other one I just thought of that I had to touch on real quick. I think I think I understand your program the way it works with this. But um, talk about pin pads. You, you mentioned it earlier. But another one that really cracks me up is, uh, you know, the ISO is like, yes, you can absolutely place a, place a free terminal because we want that account. Well, they also need a pin pad. Well, you're gonna lease that. <laughs> right. Right. So what's the deal with that? <laughs> this has been an awesome thing for us recently because unfortunately we've all been dealing with the effects of COVID. Sure. And COVID, you know, businesses are looking for pin pads right now more than I've ever seen. Um, there's actually been a huge decrease that we've seen, and I'm sure everyone has, right. in pin pads over the last several years because businesses really aren't doing as much pin debit, especially in smaller businesses. But with COVID, you know, businesses don't want to touch credit cards. They want to have a pin pad that faces the customer and a credit card machine behind the counter. Right. So with us, it's a one-to-one ratio. We're going to put in a terminal, whether it's a Paxos 80 or a Deja Vu Z8 or whatever it is, and they need the equivalent pin pad. We're going to provide it. Right. And, you know, that, again, helps you sign certain types of accounts, but also right now really helped a lot of our sales partners combat what's going on in the country right now and, and keep sure. everyone as safe as possible. Yeah, so sure. basically what you're saying is free hardware is free hardware, whatever exactly. the hardware is that's yep. needed. It's just a one-to-one ratio. If we're giving them right. a terminal and they need a pin pad, great, one-to-one. If they are getting a three terminals and they need three pin pads, great, one-to-one ratio between terminals and pin pads always. Yeah, and I, I love this conversation because it, it really does go back to something. Um, I made a video uh, probably six months ago or so before COVID, and but we were just talking about in that video this idea that our, our industry as a whole does a very poor job of managing capital investments on a small scale. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, I talk to agents. You would not believe how many times I talk to agents that are like, I don't know what to do. I have this account. It's going to bring me $700 a month in residual but they need this equipment and it's going to cost two grand. And I'm like, did you take math class in sixth grade? Like, you know, that's a good idea. You know, hello. Like, but, but of course the problem is they don't have the two grand, you know? And so what happens is, you know, they reach out to their ISO and their ISO says, here's our document about our policy regarding free placement. Wait a second. This is an opportunity to make $700 a month split, however it's going to be split, and it requires a $2,000 investment. That's a no-brainer ROI. Why are we not making these investments? And more and more as technology and integration plays into it, it's getting more and more challenging for agents to get these deals done. And it's like, we just want to get the deal done. And it, you know, it's so, I'm I'm really enjoying this. It's actually super interesting, uh, you know, conversation. So. We encourage our partners to bring us those deals. Those are the ones that excite us the most. And it's probably because of our roots, right? So again, you know, I started out there knocking on doors. Some of the best accounts I ever signed were the most expensive accounts I ever signed. For sure. And I would, you know, at that time, I didn't have too much money. I mean, I was a college student. Sure. Um, so, you know, I would take whatever I had in my bank account. And, you know, that was going to the POS company that was going to charge $1,000 to, you know, add some sort of module or right. something that they needed. But I would get a really killer account out of it right. um, that would then end up you know, funding future accounts. So the model is something that's been ingrained into us from the beginning. And you know, I understand and, and sympathize and, and understand completely some of these agents can't necessarily afford that whole upfront cost. But come to us. Bring those deals to us. We are excited by them um, because we know that those accounts aren't going anywhere and right. they're going to be worth it long term. 
Right. right. Yeah. And I, I really, I like that. And I, I'm, I'm enjoying it because I just, I'm really hoping that, uh, you know, number one, obviously I'm sure a lot of our, our, uh, you know, listeners will be interested in learning more about Paybright, but I'm also like hoping this trend catches on a little bit better and, and others in the industry start to realize <laughs> that you can actually make investments and get deals. So, all right, last one I have to talk about, cause it is so interesting when we look at it through the, through the lens of free placement is cash discounting. Mm-hmm. Um, now this is one where Frankly, I think you and I might even have a little, we might disagree a little bit. But that's fine. You know, so I've, I've been of the kind of idea like, you know, hey, we're going to save the merchant all this money. Let's make some more money, you know. Um, so mm-hmm. let's lease the terminal. Let's rent the terminal, whatever. But um, there, I think it's interesting because it is starting to mature a little bit. You know, I mean, it's not like the newest thing out there anymore. <clears throat> and agents are starting to kind of get through the low hanging fruit and they're starting to run into a little bit more of a, a block. So talk to us about how you see cash discounting and free placement. How do these two ideas come together in your mind? So I think personally, leasing is is a mistake. Um for a lot of reasons. And, and of course, there's a million opinions, but anyone who's tracked the industry over the last 10 or 20 years has seen that leasing in the traditional space has certainly become old school. It is not the standard way of placing terminals anymore. There are still plenty of companies doing it. Sure. Um, I have my own opinions on that. <laughs> sure. But the majority, I would say, and, and I think most people would say, are no longer leasing equipment. Sure. But when credit card processing was less competitive, was a newer industry, leasing was the way it was done. And right. I think you're going to see the same thing with cash discount. People oh, just for sure. were able to repackage it the same way. It was a less mature way of selling in the industry. So right. there was an opportunity. I don't always believe the opportunity is something you should take, um, <laughs> but it was there. To right. me, leasing has all the ethical issues, but from a cash discount perspective, here's my issue with it. You're telling merchants, here's this great opportunity. You're most likely yeah. to acknowledge that they have one concern, which is are their customers going to like it? Right. And you're going to tell them they're not going to care. They're going to like it. You're going to sell and do everything we, we do. But you're then still locking them into the terminal with own hanging in the you know near future, potentially. We've all had accounts that have tested cash discount that haven't liked it. It's inevitable. For sure. So right. benefit, we've all had it. But these merchants are still locked into that $50, $100, sometimes $200 a month lease for three or four years. Right. So what I really love about our program is that what we say is, is what it is. No commitment, free trial, try it out. There's nothing holding you there. If you don't like it for any reason, you're not locked in. We take essentially on that liability, that risk. And it also helps our sales partners sell more business. Sure. Um, on the one hand side, you can convert more accounts, but I also think you have happier business owners if anything ever comes up, which to us is sure. really important. Yeah, well, and I think it is interesting too, kind of, you know, devil's advocate to my own view. Um, I, I, I no, I like I totally get it because because a couple a couple interesting things play out in my mind there. Number one is these accounts are so profitable, you know, that it's like if we can take our closing percentage up just a little bit, totally worth it, right? So I, I get that. And the other piece of it is it's also kind of interesting that you know, you really want cash discounting to be like locking them in long term because who's going to sell them? You know, you're not they're they're not paying anything. So it's like, how are you going to flip? So by doing the lease, I could also see maybe a competitive weakness there where it's like now somebody, you know, somebody could come in from Paybright and say, oh, they leased you a terminal. Well, you can do cash discounting with us and you get a free one, you know, so you're leaving yourself open to like the only one remaining weakness of cash discounting, you know? Yeah, and I think also, as, as Dustin said, it's sort of like I'm giving you this great deal, but you still have to pay me something. Right, you right. Know, that Puts that extra of, barrier up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
we, we want as little friction as possible. And with these high margin deals, it only makes all the more sense. Um, you want to sign those deals whenever you can and keep them in any way you can. So, you know, having a lease, I think actually can become a, a hindrance from the sales perspective. It, it, I don't think it helps you. Sure. Yep. Good deal. So Dustin, uh, you know, I, I really think we could just keep talking for quite a long time about all this stuff. It's so interesting. Um, but I really, before you go, I, I definitely want you to get a little bit more information about Paybright uh, to our audience. So can you tell us a little bit more about um, the types of agents that tend to do well with Paybright and then maybe some contact information of where you would send them if they want to learn more? Yeah. So we work with all, time, all types of agents across the country, all walks of life. Um, you know, the, the majority of the agents we work with do have in experience or, or background in our industry already. Um, those are the majority. Um, they've been selling in a lot of cases for years, but we work with everyone. Somebody who's a weekend and has been, you know, following your podcast and, and your training content. And is that's, you know, the extent of kind of what they know so far and, and everyone in between. Sure. Um, but we have agents everywhere that are looking in a lot of cases for something that goes along with what they have. I mean, we tell agents all the time, hey, our program is a really great compliment maybe if you're really happy with your other processing solutions. You know, what about the deal that you have that you were struggling to sign because of equipment placements? Maybe you start with that one with us. So I tell agents all the time, if you want to use us as a compliment to what you have, we're happy to have that conversation. Um, so we work with all kinds of agents. The best way to reach out, of course, is, is either by phone or email. Um, if anyone wants to chat, um, you know, of course, they can go to our website as well. And of course, I'll give you that information. Um, you can email me directly at Dustin at GoPayBright.com. Um, that's G-O-P-A-Y-B-R-I-G-H-T. Um, so Dustin at GoPayBright.com. Um, you can call me directly. I'm always happy to talk to an agent, even if it's price experience, just to be a resource, and they can reach me directly. Uh, my number is 856-904-6561. And of course, they can go to our website. Um, they can always put in, you know, a contact us request. Um, don't know that that'll be me that reaches out, of course. I'm, I don't normally, you know, handle those requests. Um, but whoever would be reaching out is, is more than qualified to assist as well. And our website is just gopaybright.com. So, you know, anyone that wants to get in touch, we are happy to assist however we can. Awesome. Dustin, uh, very enlightening today. Great conversation. I just really appreciate you taking the time and sharing the insights with our audience. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Okay, well, you know, James, this week I'd, I'd like to take a little bit of time to remind folks of the importance of knowing your customers. Okay. And in many cases, knowing your customers' customers. Okay. Um, you know, this is a credo that we hear a lot in financial services, but sometimes people ignore it or they kind of like pass over it, you know, like they sure. give it lip service. But, uh, but uh, as a settlement agreement recently uh, entered into between Fiserv and the Federal Trade Commission shows, uh, it can be a costly proposition not to pay attention to this. Um, Fiserv agreed to pay the FTC more than $40 million to uh, settle allegations that First Data Merchant Services, which Fiserv acquired last year, knowingly processed transactions that were tied to scams that bilked uh, thousands of consumers mm -hmm. out of millions of dollars. Wow. 
Yeah. Uh, Pfizer was like, we're so glad we bought you. They bought you, right? <laughs> and, you know, you know, an FTC attorney blogging about the settlement, you know, said that, you know, this needs to, this should be a warning to payment processing companies that the agency really expects them to be vigilant against scammers that use the card processing networks to perpetrate frauds. And, you know, we know that that's a, you know, what is the old uh, uh, Willie Sutton thing, you know, that you rob banks because that's where the money is. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's credit cards, right? Right. So, you know, the FTC, just to kind of educate people a little bit, it gets its authority from the Federal Trade Commission Act, which, among other things, prohibits opening and maintaining accounts for shell companies and those engaged in other types of fraud or ignoring uh, evidence of client frauds. The FTC also had uh, was endowed with powers under the telemarketing sales rules, which, uh, you know, address things like credit card laundering. Um, so this case, this settlement involves a case that uh, uh, stems from the actions of an ISO first pay solutions, which apparently had rogue employees falsifying applications and boarding hundreds of what the FTC were said were facially false merchant accounts hmm. tied to four different scams, hmm. so, some of which used stolen credit cards to uh, bill consumers without their consent. Now, First Data was aware of the problems at First Pay Solutions as early as uh, 2012, according to the FTC. And um, at one point, uh, the ISO's merchants, this is blew my mind, accrued over 300,000 chargebacks in less than a year, which represented 40% of First Data's chargeback violations for its entire wholesale merchant business. Wow, I, I'm really wow. surprised that the risk department didn't shut the account down faster. Right? Yeah. I mean, the, the situation was so troubling that executives at Wells Fargo, you know, first data's acquiring partner who was working with, with this ISO, uh, sounded the alarm and terminated its processing contract with First Pay. Visa banned the company from boarding high risk merchants. And actually leveled a nine, leveled, levied, excuse me, a $19 million fine after its forensic accounting firm found deficiencies in its monitoring, in its risk monitoring. Huh. So you would think yeah. that given that, you know, first data would cut this company loose, right? Right. No, they, they actually purchased the ISO and hired its CEO. Wow. Yeah. And then it asked uh, Wells to, you know, make an exception and let these staffers that it inherited from the ISO to continue boarding high-risk merchants. Wow. So this is what this is what uh, the FTC uh, it's his uh, who was he Daniel Kaufman, deputy director, Bureau of Consumer Protection, at the FTC said, uh, "Quote: First data is paying forty million dollars." because it repeatedly looked the other way while its payment processing services were being used to commit fraud. When companies fail to screen out fraudsters exploiting the payment processing system to steal people's money, they're breaking the law and injuring consumers. Hmm. You know, I mean, I think it was pretty forceful. I mean, I yeah. 40, when you think about it, that's really, when you look at what Visa find them and what the FTC yeah. settlement, we're talking like, you know, close to $60 million. 
Wow. You know, made, and, uh, all of a sudden know, made that acquisition a little bit more uh, expensive when First Data bought that little ISO there. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's what I thought. You know, uh, I mean, I, yeah. you, you kind of wonder like what's going through yeah. the minds. It's like, just well, get it's rid like of these I'd, people. I'd love to hear the other side of the story. You know, it's like, I'm sure First Data, you know, like, you know, that kind of stuff just somehow fell through the cracks or oh, yeah. there, there was yeah. some kind of con in terms of maybe the, you know, who knows, but some, maybe some of the ISO employees were presenting it in a certain way or in cahoots or who knows what happened, but yeah, they, uh, you know, the first data, I mean, or Pfizer rather did issue a statement saying these are rogue agents. It doesn't represent what, what of first course. data really does, you know, blah, the, blah, blah, the blah. standard stuff, sure, yeah, blah, sure. blah, blah, blah. which I mean, I guess in their defense, you know, a $60 million mistake to them is to them is not that bad. That's like a, no. that's like a $10,000 mistake to me. So, you know, yeah, but, but still, <laughs> still, you know, I mean, I really think it, it really goes to, you've really got to keep an eye on your agents and make sure yeah. that they're not in cahoots with fraudsters. Yeah. There really are things that can, can definitely be done. And I think it's, I think in our industry too, it brings up an interesting point where, um, I think a lot of the focus in terms of fraud and security and compliance is around technology now, but right. you, you know, you can't forget the human element that right. there are still ways that, you know, humans can, uh, can cause some serious problems in the payment space. Yeah. I mean, like with these guys, some of the things they were doing was forging applications and, you know, sure, sure. Uh, putting through bogus, um, invoices and things like that. Right. Well, technology isn't necessarily going to pick out some of those human human um actions right um right they can it can point to trends and that that's certainly an issue right but but this is still a human business it's still a face-to-face -face kind of thing and um right you know you, you really need to just be aware that it is a regulated business the ftc does have you know jurisdiction over this is not the first time they've come after a payment processing company and it probably right. won't be the last sure yeah. Wow. Well, very interesting. We'll, well be uh, interested to see how everything kind of plays out there. But uh, yeah, definitely an interesting one for sure and a good reminder. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So Patty, as usual, I get a lot of questions about cash discounting and uh, oh, yes. you know, related things. And um, one of the questions that uh, I've been getting a lot of from a lot of different agents revolves around um, issues with, you know, taxing, you know, is there is there tax charged on the extra service fee revenue? Um, yeah. What about refunds? Um, you know, what about is it a, is it a write off? You know, all these things. And, you know, I'll get into a little bit of the specifics there, but I've covered that in other videos. The, the way I really want to answer these questions kind of in general today is. I'm starting to see a very uh, interesting and potentially troubling trend if you are an ISO that specializes in selling cash discounting. Um, cash discounting has really been approached so far in this very ad hoc way of, 
well, it's just cash discounting. You just add the service fee on, and then you do a daily discount on the on the uh, you know statement, and that's it. And then it's you know whatever. And right. I've even talked to a shockingly large number of ISOs that have said things to me like, you know, well, yeah, the customers do have issues with the way that it reconciles with QuickBooks or whatever. But you know, we just tell them, look, you know, you're saving eight thousand dollars a year. What do you want? You know, like just deal with it. You know. <sighs> And, you know, what's really been interesting to me is I'm finally starting for a long time now. I've been like, okay, you know, what's going to be the next phase, you know, with cash discounting, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's again, you know, we talked about in the interview a little bit ago with Dustin. It's like, you know, you're you're saving them 100 percent potentially. So how is somebody going to come and flip this merchant account? And I think I finally know how (laughs) Um, I think what they're going to do is they're going to recognize that. You know, the truth is cash discounting still has some very significant pain points. Sure. And, it, you know, and so it's like, sure, you're not paying anything. But another way to look at that, a lot of a lot of ISOs look at that like, well, we're never going to lose that account because they're not paying anything, you know. But another way to look at it is you've also kind of in a way cheapened the service in a way, meaning you're not paying anything. So if I come to the merchant and say, you're not going to pay anything with me either. Mm-hmm. Well, all of a sudden, the barrier to switch there is not extremely high. Right. And then the other trends that are going along with this are cash discounting is very rarely integrated with decent technology. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, there's very little attention paid to the way the statement reads. So there's a lot of confusion. Mm-hmm. The reconciliation 80% of the time doesn't work correctly. That to me is is the really is the real killer there, right? It is because yeah. if, if if you're having headaches on the back end, right, eight thousand dollars. If you're spending you know two hours a day, right, trying to deal with this, you start you know adding it starts adding up. It starts deducting from that state. Yeah, and to give you a more specific example of this problem, um, what's happening is a lot of times it's the accountants that mm-hmm. are coming back and saying, right, what is this? Yeah. And they're yeah. like, well, I'm, I'm charging more to my customers and then and then somehow I'm not paying processing fees. And the accountant says, yes, you are. Yeah, you are. I got your statement. And they're like, well, no, because it kind of offsets. And, and they're like, well, it doesn't match up. Like, And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, it's planting these seeds of doubt. Right. Where they're like, am, am, wait a second, did I get scammed here? Like, what happened? You know. Mm-hmm. And in actuality, they really are saving a lot of money. Or if you could look at it, they really are increasing their revenue enough to offset the expense. But you know, that's not enough. And so, right. what's going to happen is, as companies, and there are some out there. So, fair warning to those of you that are thinking you're in the clear. There are companies out there who are number one integrating a cash discounting program into a legitimate POS solution. They're working right. on integrations with different POS, you know, ISV partnerships and things like that. And number two, there are companies who are starting to take it more seriously in terms of structuring it correctly, mm-hmm. so that in the event of a refund, there's not some massive confusion about what just happened in terms of the the, the cash right. discounting. And so this is a you know I think we've we've approached cash discounting from this very simplistic viewpoint, right. um, which is fine early on because you know it's like the simple approach it's still it's so much better than traditional for the for mom and pop shop in terms of cost that it's like well who cares about these little nitpicking things but what's happened now is those little nitpicking things have started to become the only thing left 
Mm -hmm. And so now there is that space for competitors to start to come in and come into your accounts and like, oh, you know, we already have this cash discount program, which, which by the way, they can see by the sign. So it's right. not like you're, you know, you're trying to hide in plain sight. They know, you know, if I'm a merchant services sales rep and I'm working for a company that has a fully integrated, well thought out cash discount program. And we thought about how it integrates with QuickBooks, you know, I can walk in and say to any merchant right now that has a cash discount sign up and say, Hey, I see you're already doing a cash discount program. That's great. Let me ask you a question. How has it gone in terms of integrating that with QuickBooks? Mm -hmm. How does your accountant feel about it? Yeah. And immediately I'm going to have just as negative a conversation as I would have before with traditional processing because of service or rates or whatever else. Right. So there is this kind of gap there. Um, and so I think it's crucial for those who are trying to really focus on the cash discounting and the opportunity it presents. Um, it's time for you to think through, you know, go ahead and create that frequently asked questions uh, yes, resource. I was just going to suggest that that's a perfect way to do it, right? Yeah. I mean, because yeah. that it's also proactive. It gets you thinking about what right. what could be the problem. But it also so when the when the new agent comes in, you know, you're not, it's not going to be as easy to sell if you already understand all those pain points exactly, and how it's addressed. Yep. Right? Yep. And, and, and when you do that, of course, I would imagine you also have to have the answers, right? <laughs> well, and that's what I love about it. You know, it's funny, like right before we started recording podcast today, I was uh, doing some screenshot videos for our new interchange optimization thing uh, that we have mm -hmm. on our, our uh, getisoamp.com. And, you know, while I'm doing it, you know, I took like three takes for the first one. Right. Because I, I started it and I was like, wait a minute, is that how I want them to do that? And I'm like, uh, mm -hmm. let me stop that a second and think about it. So make right. those frequently asked questions. You know, um, how does cash discounting affect refunds? How does cash discounting, you know, uh, how do you offset it? How do you collect the money? Like another one, Patty, that's one of my favorites is um, this problem of reconciliation will, will come up. And what right. a lot of ISOs do is once they have the merchant on board, they say, well, you know what? All, the only reason you're having all these problems is because of the daily discount. So let's just go back to traditional, you know, billing where we just bill you once a month and, you know, you are collecting this extra revenue, which is going to offset. So, yes, that does solve the problem. Yeah, but that seemed, yeah. But now do you realize that you are now debiting? So this merchant was spending $800 a month on merchant services on the certain day of the month. They're now right. getting debited $1,400. Now, now, granted, you did get them $1,400 in extra revenue, but you're not documenting that on the statement. Right. So now all of a sudden it's like, trust me, we've eliminated uh -huh. your fees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're still right. paying them, but trust me, we really, yeah. and it's like, again, right now that might work. Two years from now, it won't because, yeah. you know, things evolve, things improve. And, and what's happening is a lot of companies are going, wait a second, cash discounting is going to, seems like it's going to be here for a long time. It doesn't seem mm -hmm. like Visa is taking the decisive action that we thought they were going to take. Um, you know, maybe it's time to invest $200,000 in developing a better software solution for our POS that integrates this, you know? Right. So those are coming. So just be aware that, you know, don't sit back all comfortable because you have your cash discount portfolio that you're making a fortune on. That's great. But it, are your merchants actually happy and if there are pain points rather than minimizing them under the auspices of we're saving you so much money who cares understand that you now are going to have a lot of competitors who can save them just as much money without right. those headaches and be proactive and and and, sure. and start investigating these these uh fixes you yep. know what i'm saying for sure awesome good thanks james Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. 
Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com, and we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.